And now let's adore him in reading and hearing his word and then practicing it as we engage it together. I want you to turn to Mark chapter 12 today, beginning a little four-part series called Unite. And excited about the opportunities that this series is going to unfold for us to be able to talk about some things that we need to be united with in God's word and relationally with other people and today I'd like to talk about being united to love. God has made it so that we can be united to love. So Mark 12, this is a very familiar passage to you if you've been involved in church life much at all. If not, it's one that you will become very involved with. Mark 12, verse 30 and 31. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And this second of the great commandments is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these, Jesus says. Now, God is loved within a relationship with him, and our relationship with God is best served when we hold nothing back. So Jesus says to us, love him with all your being, your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And this love relationship is not passive. It's, it can't be apathetic, and it certainly can't be uninvolved. In fact, what Jesus is doing is saying, engage him. Be assertive in this love dynamic that you have with him. Pursue the engagement of God. Pursue his being with all of who you are. We're to hold nothing back from him. Not in our heart, not in our mind, not in our soul, nor in our spirit. All of us given to this relationship with him. Now what's unique is that God is making himself known. And as he makes himself known, he pours love into us. And so we have a beautiful rhythm that begins to establish in our life where God makes himself known. And we reflect that with the, the love of God that's poured into our heart. We echo back that love to him, and the more we love him, the more known he is to us, and the more known he is to us, the more deeply in love we become uh, in with him. So there's a beautiful rhythm that gets established by us recognizing the love of God and giving that love back to him. It's more full and more deep as our days go on. It's an ever-deepening love and knowledge of God. In fact, we read this in 1 John chapter 4. We're going to refer to the fourth chapter of 1 John a couple of times. We have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. This is God's love, right? Because God is love. We're knowing that. We're coming to believe it. We're coming to understand it. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in him, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us. I'm going to talk a lot about love today. And you might be thinking, well, what Randy wants us to do is to be more loving. And I would say, yes, that's true. I want us to be more loving, more demonstrative of that love, more giving in love. But don't walk out of here and think that, okay, tell us how we're going to be more loving and we'll do it. This isn't a seven-step program to be more loving. God says, no, love doesn't come by our actions alone. Love comes from him. In fact, if you're going to be perfected in your love, be it in your marriage, your family, and among your coworkers, neighbors, whatever it is, if you're going to be perfected in love, 
It will be because you have come to know and believe the love that God has for you. And in that love that God has for you, you will begin to be perfected in love. So this isn't about you and me doing life differently on our own self-reliance and our own strength. This is about us coming to God and saying, Oh God, fill us with your love and let us demonstrate this amazing love that you are filling in us. So I pray that God would begin working in that way in us even more as we're wanting that and treasuring that. So the perfected love of God is poured into us and we express that back to him. So we love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that love is often demonstrated in our obedience to him. In fact, Jesus said it well when he just said simply, if you love me, you'll obey me. So we come to him with his will in mind, his ways in mind, and we come to him in a life that is lived in worship, an expression of worship to him, and that is how we express love to him. But now, notice that Jesus is intertwining our love for God and love for others. In fact, Jesus is not seeing those as two separate things. He's seeing that as one. He's saying, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And he puts those two together, meshes them together in a way that cannot be separated. And it goes like this. If you're going to love God, you're going to demonstrate your love for God to other people. You can't be disassociated of loving people and at the same time claim to love God. Jesus pulls those two together and the expression of our love for God is not just with words and action towards him, but with words and actions towards other people. When we engage God in love, we are engaging people in the depth of love. I don't know about you, but I don't find it very difficult to love God. Honestly. He's an all-loving God. He's an all-caring God. An all-forgiving God. An all-wise God. He's sort of hard not to love. In fact, no matter the circumstances that come in our life or hardships that might come into my life or your life, no matter the difficulties that we face, the love of God is not questionable. God's love is so certain. Every time we think about the cross, we know God loves us. No matter what the experiences are in the moment, God's love is for us. So I find it pretty easy to love an all-giving, all-loving God. The, the great sovereign of the universe who chose to shed his own blood and give his own life for my good. I can love a God like that. And so can you. So I don't find it hard to love God, but I do find it difficult to love people sometimes. Don't you? And if we were to be absolutely honest, we would say, and we make it difficult for people to love us sometimes. And what I want to focus on is that. How do we love God? How do we express love for God through other people or to other people when we don't feel like loving them or they don't deserve our love? What's going on there? And where is God in the midst of those kind of feelings and those kind of thoughts? Well, we're faced with a difficult command by Jesus. That is to love God and love other people like we love ourselves. 
And if we were going to do that, we would come to a conclusion that that cannot be done in and of ourselves. It must come from God. Because there are people in your life and my life who are pretty daggum difficult to love. So God, you're going to have to fill me with a measure of love that permeates even to those difficult relationships and acknowledges that there is a greater love that's being affected in my life that can be moved towards those people in order for me to worship you well. So certainly God takes pleasure when we love him, but if you really want the Father to be pleased, then we will live our life in the love of Christ with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit by loving other people. I think love is more easily and best expressed when we're in relationship with people. Because I can say I love people, and I can even point to somebody, but if I really don't know them, then there's not a real depth of love there. But it's in the relationships that we have that we can have a real sense of deep love, deep affectionate love in those relationships. Now, one of the greatest relationships that we have is this covenant relationship between a husband and wife. And you can really love deeply in that relationship. But is there ever a relationship that you can love more deeply than your husband or your wife and at the same time have a relationship that taxes you so much? How is it that we love that spouse with, without uh, holding back? We love them, but at the same time, we have a lot of dislike for them. Have you ever noticed that? It, that you can love this person with all your being, but at the same time, have a real rub in you against them. And how do we manage that? What is God doing in the midst of that so that we might express love? i tell you what he's doing. I think he is helping us to have a deeper understanding of relationship. I tried to summarize it in this way. The deeper and truer the relationship, the more deeply we can express the fullness of our love to a person. And the deeper and truer the relationship, the more dependent we are to be filled with the love of God to express such love. Which brings me to a settled point. That marriage is fertile ground on which to grow our love for God and others. If you want to grow in your love for God and other people, let God work it in your marriage. Because in the marriage you have deep love, but also in the marriage you have deep strife that comes. One writer put it this way, it's incredible the dichotomy in the love relationship that we have with husband and wife, you have a great sense of love, and at the same time, you could have a sense of hate. I hate this about him, or I hate that about her. I wish she would change that, or I wish he would do it differently. It's really a dichotomy there. Gary Thomason in Sacred Marriage book writes this, human love and divine love aren't two separate oceans but rather one body of water with many tributaries. So it's not, I love God and I love my wife, or I love God and I love my husband, or I love God and I love my neighbor, or maybe I'm struggling to love over here, or this person makes it really difficult to love over there. It's all the same body of love. It's the love of God that's being poured out. 
And it's one large ocean that has many tributaries to it, meaning many expressions and relationships by which this love of God is meant to be exercised and applied to. Marriage is a great place for you and me to grow in that because we come to know those people. In the deeper relationships, we have a sense of knowing more about the individual, don't we? It's not superficial. The baggage that somebody carries around is discovered in the marriage. The secrets that somebody has held close and quiet suddenly becomes a revelation in the marriage. The difficulties of life surface in the midst of the marriage. So we ought to apply that love, that, that great love of God. It's in the relationship with others that we can really reveal God's love. For those who are married, you ought to be asking as I ought to be asking, is my marriage the primary way that I am revealing the love of God? Is your marriage the primary exercise of God's love being poured in you? And even if you're not married, is there relationship close to you where you know warts and all what's what's in the life of that person, in that close relationship, are you applying as the primary way of God's love in those relationships? You say, well, that person aggravates me more than anybody else. That's the exercise to apply God's love when the aggravation is at its highest. That's the place where you allow the love of God to flow and exercise in that. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8 this time. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So God has given love to us. His love is given so that it becomes the source of love that we demonstrate and give to other people, including our spouses and our families. Now, that verse reveals that love is not a natural tendency for us. Love just doesn't come naturally. It doesn't just freely flow from our flesh. In fact, the opposite happens. I'd say what comes from our flesh is not love, it's indifference. And what comes from our flesh is actually bent towards hatred, and the reason why I know that is because I have never purposefully intended to hate anyone. But yet there are feelings of hate that have come. And I have never purposed in my heart to be indifferent to someone as if they didn't matter. But I've had those feelings come from my flesh. I have purposed to love people. And I have purposed to move towards somebody in love. So what comes naturally from the flesh with, I, that I was born in is not love. God pours that love into me, and God pours that love into you. And it's from that source of love, rather than the flesh, it's from that source of love that we are called to engage people. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and let it be known by loving other people as you love yourself. This is going to have to be from God if it's going to be the measure that is worship to him. Here's what I understand about 1 John chapter 4. 
The love that God gives to us is an unconditional love that is poured into us. And it's our responsibility to cherish that love and to share that love, to demonstrate it to other people. So we must purposely renounce hate, which steeps in us and sometimes eagerly boils out of our sinful flesh. And then we must purpose to pursue love and the generous display of that love. And let it be exercised first in your marriage relationship, in your family relationships, and let it go out in concentric circles to those people God has placed you in relationship, whether at work or neighborhood, and then to people that you don't yet know, to engage them purposefully with love. I once heard a man who was questioning his ability to love his wife. He was attempting to resolve the conflict that was going on in his heart. He was interested, infatuated in romance by another woman. And he was wrestling with that. And he was trying to convince himself that, that he could leave his wife and go for that other woman. And in questioning himself, he out loud posed a question to me and said, Can I ever love her again? Wondering if he could love his wife again. And it caused me to pause to reckon that what that man was dealing with is what many of us deal with at various points in time in our relationships. He was dealing with the battle of genuine love that's from God and the battle of infatuation, which is of the flesh. He was infatuated with another woman, but that wasn't real love, that was infatuation. Infatuation comes and goes in the marriage relationship, doesn't it? I mean, there are seasons of my life, much of the life that I live with my wife is just absolute infatuation with her. Every now and then I'll text her and say, I cannot get you off my mind today. I'm thinking about you constantly. That's infatuation. And that is developed and that's good, that's healthy. But you can't make a marriage last on infatuation because there are other days that I'm not infatuated. There are other days that I'm not sending text. I'm distracted, I'm busy, I'm doing things, or, or we've had some kind of little conversation that didn't go the way I wanted it to. And there are days that she's infatuated with me, and there are days that she's not infatuated with me. But you know what keeps our marriage strong? We are resolved to love. And the love that comes from God is what makes that possible. Because infatuation comes and goes sort of like the, the tide ebbs and flows. So you're not going to be able to build your marriage relationship on infatuation alone. It requires a purposeful choosing to love in the same manner that God has purposely chosen to love you. Catherine Ann Porter writes it this way, romantic love, which is what I'm calling infatuation, romantic love has, has no elasticity to it. It can never be stretched. It simply shatters. So at some point, he's going to tick you off. At some point, she's going to tick you off, and the factuation is going to wane. It has no elasticity to it. You can't stretch romance like that. You're either feeling it or you're not. So Porter goes on to say, mature love, the kind demanded by a good marriage, must stretch as the sinful human conditions is such that all of us bear conflicting emotions. 
she's on track with that. Another couple in the Tracys, Stephen and Celestia, concur, saying romance is a beautiful thing and it has place in marriage. However, it is woefully inadequate as a currency of love. So your romance is not the best way to communicate love. Certainly not the God-given love. Romance is part of my love to my wife, but it's not the common currency of communicating love. In fact, the common currency of communicating love is that I choose to love, and I choose to communicate that love, and I choose to show it by the way I serve her, and she shows it by the way she serves me and spends times with me and, and moves towards one another. So what we need to do is anchor ourselves in the love of God, which will create in us a steadfastness. And when the winds of adversity blow against us, in the waves of trouble crash against our relationship, the anchor holds. Because the love is not based on us. The love is based on God, who is pouring it into us and us choosing to live in that love. Are you with me, church? This is a difficult thing. If you go along with culture, it's going to be all about your feelings. But I'm sure your feelings are like mine. They're pretty fickle at times. And we need the anchor. Our marriages cannot rise and fall depending on how we feel at any given moment. We must be grounded in God and His perfected love and then declare that love in our marriage. You know God is declaring love into us. God is speaking to us in that way as his children who he loves. And he tells us to love each other in that way. So to be unloving to anyone, especially to a spouse who you are in covenant relationship with, to be unloving to anyone is to deny the love of God. You cannot hate anyone and at the same time, love God. You say, well, that's a little straightforward. Well, Jesus takes it even further, and he says, you cannot be unforgiving to anyone and have the forgiveness of God. So that God has poured his love into us necessitates that we not just receive that love, but we share that love openly with other people. So we cannot practice Christianity while practicing indifference, much less hate towards someone. Let me just throw this out there. If you're blaming your lack of love on your spouse, you are blaming the wrong person. It's you. And it was me. The problem is not with my wife when I'm feeling unloving towards her. The problem is not me when she feels unloving towards me. The problem is each of us in the measure of love that we've received from God and choose to not give. It's about you and me. Love is a choice. Jesus Christ clearly demands that we love one another. He says to love everyone to love your enemies, to love those who persecute you, to pray for them. And if he tells you to love your enemies, how much more would he tell you to love the one you're in a covenant relationship with? 
He says in chapter 4, verse 11 of 1 John, in verse 20 and 21, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has... For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Is your spouse not your brother in Christ? Is your spouse not your sister in Christ? Well, God demands that we love them. And certainly he says in Ephesians 5 that we are to love one another as husband and wife. So our spouse and our love for our spouse and others is contingent only upon God's love poured into us. That's the only contingency. You say, well, I don't know that I'm pouring love into my spouse. The only contingency is God pouring love into you, and he says, most certainly, I'm pouring love into you. So if he is pouring love into us, we can love people out of the measure of that love, out of the generosity of God who loves us. So if you want to have a heart that coincides with the heart of Christ, and you want to please God the Father, then be led by the Holy Spirit to love well, to pursue that kind of life. You say, well, Randy, you don't understand. My marriage is difficult. And I do understand there are marriages that are more difficult than others. The reason for our differences is not rooted in anything other than the fall of mankind with sin. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve, who were in a perfect relationship with God and with each other and with self. And in the midst of their sin, what happens? They immediately together recognize they have shame. Immediately there's contention between them, blaming. Immediately there's a struggle for power. The answer for them is the same answer for each of us in our marriage relationships and in all marriage relationships. The answer is Jesus Christ, the reconciler, who will not only reconcile us with God, but will give us the empowered ministry of reconciliation with one another. So your answer is Jesus. Your answer is not a more peaceful home. Your answer is not more dating. Your answer is not more likability. Your answer is being reconciled by Jesus Christ and receiving that reconciliation and then ministering in that reconciliation. And then you might begin to frame up those things, but the power comes in the reconciliation of Christ. So a turning point in your marriage may be when you come to submit to what God is doing in your life. You say, Randy, it's just incredibly difficult. I'm so overwhelmed. I sense this. I feel that. You know what you're feeling? You're feeling the hammer and the chisel of the Holy Spirit. Because when there's tension, and when there's strife, and when there's hatred that builds up or a bent towards that in the expression of your relationship. The enemy is wanting to bring destruction to your relationship, but you know at the same time the Holy Spirit is just chiseling away at your self-reliance. He's chiseling away at your self-centeredness. He's chiseling away at your self-love, your idolatry. He's chipping away at all those things. And I can tell you that's painful. 
But when you go through what God is doing and you understand what he's doing and you say, yes, Lord, do that in me in the difficulty of the relationship, make me altogether new, then it takes on a whole nother dimension. It takes on an effort of resolve. Maybe using your marriage to get rid of arrogance or self-reliance or lust or anger indifference, or lack of love. He may be using your marriage to pour his love into you, the point that you will be free to pour your love into your spouse, even if your spouse is at odds with you. Kay and I have had some experiences of very rough seasons in our marriage. There have been times when we really didn't like each other. I can tell you from personal experience, I didn't like her, and she didn't like me. I recognized there were a lot of things about her that I wanted to change, and I was nagging that she do those things so that she would be more likable to me. And she was feeling the same way towards me. I wish he wouldn't do that. I wish he would do this, but instead he does that. It was when we were at a really tense spot, spots in our marriage, that the Spirit of God begins to chip and chisel. And that hurts. But he begins to break away the self-centeredness and break away the self-reliance and break away the attention that I want rather than yielding it to him. And in that, I begin to pray. By his grace, oh God, it's not her that needs to change, is it? It's me. It's me. And by God's design, at the same moment, his spirit is speaking the same things to her. Oh God, it's not him that I ought to be changing. It's me. And when that happens, something wondrous takes place. It expedites towards coming back together and experiencing the love of God that gets shared with one another, and the beauty of that. We have a tendency in our flesh to circle back to that which is so bitter, I don't know why. But may the Lord help us to constantly feel the chisel of the Spirit breaking away, or in a biblical term, the pruning away in our life, that our relationship might bear more fruit. And the more beautiful the fruit is the more loving the expression of God in our lives. And may it be evident in you. Take your focus off of your mate who you're trying to change and put it onto God. For marriage is meant to move us to a deeper relationship with God and worship of God. That little one is expressing what some of you are feeling inside right now. <laughs> Marriage is meant to move us into a deeper relationship of God and worship of Him. Now, if you're listening to the culture, the culture is saying marriage is meant to be so that you live happily ever after. I'm not anti-happiness in your marriage, but I am more pro the movement of God, the holiness of God, and the worship of God. So no matter how difficult the relationship or how great the relationship, the purpose is, in the end, 
Are you worshiping God? Do you know Him more? Are you given more to Him? And if your marriage is filled with struggles because two people are coming to an understanding of selfishness that has no place, if you've been going through that struggle that it's been about the other person changing than you, if God is beginning to equip you in understanding and discovering what His Holy Spirit is doing in you, I'll tell you why He's doing that. Because He wants you to love Him more and He wants you to worship Him more. And He'll even use the difficulty or the beauty of marriage or relationships to bring that about. Some of you have co-workers that are at odds against you constantly, just constantly nagging and bickering, constantly chipping away. Some of you have neighbors who are like that, won't even throw a hand up and wave. God uses all relationships to bring us to this truth. Am I growing in a deeper relationship with him and am I expressing more and more worship in him? He'll do that in your marriage. And I'd say it's the purpose of marriage. And if you think marriage is an end in and of itself, you're wrong. The end is God and His glory. His presence. And what God will do in the midst of our relationships, most importantly in the marriage and family relationships, is He will develop us so that we might be a greater lover of God and a greater worshiper of God. Now, if you listen to the way the world defines marriage, you're going to worship yourself. You're going to worship your temporary experiences. But if you listen to God's design, you'll be equipped as a worshiper. I don't know about you, but I've come to understand this. The more given I am to God and worship, the more I am a better husband. May God find that to be true in all of us. If you're married, I'd like to pose this point as a question. How is God using your marriage to deepen your relationship and worship of Him? Good, bad, or otherwise, how is God using the relationship to deepen your relationship with Him and worship to Him. And if you're not married, how is God working within the relationships that you have to bring about the same shaping? I believe God wants to do something incredible. And He'll do it within the most deep and difficult relationships we have. Those who we're closest with and those in whom we're most challenged to live in those relationships with. Embrace what God is doing. Now, I don't often do it, but I've written a prayer that I'd like to conclude this message with. So I'll ask you just to bow your heads and quieten your hearts now. And just let these words be prayed over you. And if you are in agreement with them, you might quietly Whisper your affirmation or quietly in your spirit, agree. Father, lover of our souls, may we be filled with your love as you pour it generously into our hearts. May we receive your beautiful gift of love and eagerly share it with our spouses and others. In doing so, 
Let us reflect your mercy and grace well, your tenderness and compassion, and your understanding and purposefulness. Help us to comprehend your intentions for marriage and relationships. Guide us to live in those truths. Empower us to selflessly apply them for the greater good of our spouse and others. We receive your gift, call, and empowerment to minister with reconciliation, choosing to exercise and practice the love poured into each of us. In the name of Jesus, amen.